Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Thanks for tuning in to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where our guest today is Frank Shelton. And Frank Shelton started out writing speeches for congressmen. And since then, he has spent over two decades ministering and serving various presidents in the White House. He also is a world-renowned evangelist and has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people all over the globe. He is connected and he is on fire. And I'm so excited for you to hear his perspective on what it takes to pay the price of leadership. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to leaders about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. Today, my special guest is the one, the only Frank Shelton. Frank Shelton was born... Hi, Frank. <laughs> Frank Frank, and I know each other in our, on monthly Zoom calls, so yeah. hence the, hence the fami- familiarity and exuberance. <laughs> Okay, so Frank was born in Washington, D.C., and he worked two decades on Capitol Hill and served some of the most powerful politicians of our time. His ancestor actually hand-carried President Abraham Lincoln from Ford's Theater the evening of the assassination in 1865. Frank then went from writing speeches for a congressman to speaking all over the world, and he has just some unbelievable stories. He was invited to speak to 700,000 in Nicaragua and three times preached to over 120,000 at Mandela Stadium in Uganda. He is an author, a motivational speaker, international evangelist, and an ambassador of hope, uniting folks of all different walks of life. He has also served as the chaplain at three Olympics, and he is the founder of Frank Shelton Global. Regardless if homeless or in Hollywood, Frank and his team believe everyone is important, and he speaks at school assemblies, corporate events, and churches worldwide. And Frank shares humor, celebrity impressions. I did not know that. And his <laughs> captivating stories that encourage the, the uh, encourage and inspire. And he and Ruth reside in Maryland, so not too far from us with their two kids, Anna and Andrew. And I can't, Frank, I just love hearing your words, your insights, your wisdom. This man prays for you. You know heaven's going to open up. So I'm so excited to have you here, Frank. Oh, Dr. Tracy, it's my honor you're a leader among leaders, and um, your dad was a hero to all of us. And I don't know if I told you, but Randy Ho was a very well-respected motivational speaker, evangelist, spoke many times for Jerry Falwell Sr. at Liberty. Mm -hmm. And he told me more than once over the last 10 years, he said Charles Tremendous Jones was literally one of the greatest communicators he had ever heard. And they said, as far as Thomas Road Baptist and the whole Liberty um, had one of the most requested messages. Um, and I think he, he was also phenomenal, not only visiting Caston, but raising money for nonprofits. And he had a gift. So uh, it's obvious that you inherited. And uh, I'm just oh. thrilled to be linked with you guys because you're literally tremendous. <laughs> thank you, Frank. Oh, Frank, I, I just love that. And I did not know that. So thank you for that connection yeah. as well too. Boy, he loved that, that organization and he he really yeah. had a gifting for that. Well, you know that he wrote this book. Uh, one of his most requested speeches was called The Price of Leadership. And yeah. in it, he really talked about what it takes to be a leader uh, and the, the, the very, uh, the bloody noses, the bloody knuckles, that the, the, the tough stuff. Um, yeah. And he was always such a realist. 
was. That's I think that's why everybody resonated with him because he was so real. It wasn't yeah. all sunshine and roses and no. ooh, angels. It was like, man, we're at war and <laughs> exactly. you better suit up. But the victory is won, so stay the course. But Frank, the, the first time he talked about the, the one price and price of leadership out of the four, the first one he talked about is loneliness. And can you uh, share with our leaders what loneliness means to you and how you deal with it? Well, that's a great question. Well, I've said many times that leadership is lovely, but it's also lonely. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people want the platform, but they don't want to pay the price. And, uh, you know, I really believe until we get alone in private, will never be a microphone in public. Mm. And until you can get alone and hear the still small voice, you'll never be a voice to the masses because everyone, especially motivational speakers, have this vision to speak to the masses. And that's noble. It's needed. It's necessary. Um, But really, you know, we live in a microwave mentality. We don't want it now. We want it yesterday. But I really believe true leadership is not birthed in the microwave, it's in the crock pot. And I remember as a kid, I'd be out playing wiffle ball or touch football or kickball in the street. And all kids wanted to play until it got dark. But if my mom was cooking chili or something in the crock pot, it was a special day. And it was almost like Pepe Le Pew. You could almost, if not see the fumes, you could smell the fumes three doors down. And I mean, I'd get weak in the knees. You know, the, the, the taste buds in my mouth were going off like 4th of July fireworks. And, and I knew if the crock pot was brewing, it was going to be, you know, special. And uh, I would almost cut my game short to think, well, mom, when are we eating? And she'd be like, go back out and play. I need more time. Now, you would think that'd be music to a kid's ears. But when it was related to the crock pot, she was killing me. And I, I'd go back in willing to give up the game and we got to eat. And she's like, no, I need more time. It's in the crock pot. See, leadership is never in a hurry, but it's always on time. And then I felt like, man, I'm going to die. I felt like an Ethiopian, like my mom's killing me. I'm not going to eat. <laughs> and it seemed like forever. And But when we finally sat down, St. Grace, and got our lips on mom's cooking, it was not only incredible, it was worth the wait. And um, I think, you know, in our culture, uh, the drive-ins, the fast food is killing us in more ways than one. And I just think leadership really needs to carve out time. You know, people, um, when I think of loneliness, I also think of betrayal. I'm not trying to get too spiritual out the gate, but even I was writing a book and uh, the subtitle is on betrayal, but even Jesus had a Judas. And as the platform gets bigger and the lights get brighter and the stage gets wider, um, you know, not everybody in your corner is really in your crowd. Right. And one of the most lonely things for leaders is, uh, you know, sometimes we not only walk away when we're wounded, uh, sometimes we feel lonely even after a win. And uh, so more than ever, leadership, I believe, needs to delegate uh, not only the praise, uh, not only has to take it sure of the criticism, um, but at the same time, you know, Abraham Lincoln said there were many nights he had nowhere else to go but driven on his knees. And for a guy who had an office that happened to be oval, I think he realized that true power was not even in that office, but it was just alone in solitude and pressing in, digging deep and 
my dad's favorite Elvis gospel song was somebody's bigger than you or I. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and no matter how big the portfolio gets and know how big the penthouse is, and you can have three Porsches, you know, um, you know, you, at the end of the day, you have to realize that, um, you know, I was told in churches in England years ago in the 1600s, architects intentionally would make the front door 60 to 70 feet tall. That when you would walk into that church, and even back then, most men were five, 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 seven, five, eight, you know, every once in a while, there'd be someone close to six. But if you're walking in a door that's 60 or 70 feet tall, even Shaquille O'Neal in perspective would feel small. <laughs> and I just think leadership uh, is fulfilling, but it also reminds us of our flaws. And that's not a bad thing, because just like what you said in the opening of this podcast, you know, your dad was real. Uh, at, he was a winner, um, but he would show the warts and all. But he knew, come hell or high all water, we're going to the other side. Mm -hmm. And he took people with him, but it wasn't false advertising. Um, it wasn't just cute cliches. Uh, sometimes loneliness is laughing through tears. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I, loneliness is a um, frequent companion, uh, but I don't think we should intentionally isolate ourselves. Um, but if you're alone, it's par for the course. I love that. And Frank, you brought up one thing I want to uh, uh, call out to our leaders too. Um, just like Jesus had his Judas, and he allowed that and he knew that. But for leaders out there, if you do have, um, if, if you're on your anointing call and you st have the team around you, but you still feel this loneliness, um, you might have people on the team that really are not all in. I, I remember reflecting back on the times since I've been back to run the business for 12 years now, where we were at our biggest and most profitable. And I still felt like really alone. And, and so I think that for leaders to give you pause until you get the right team that really is all in. And yes, Jesus had a Judas, but then he had his close three and he had his, you know, there, there's always going to be somebody, yeah. but, but also that, that should give you, there's good loneliness as you pointed out, but also if there's other loneliness, you might want to look and say, Hey, who is in my inner circle? And should they be in my inner, inner circle? Because it, when you get that right team around you and yes, oh, yeah. There'll be sometimes where we have, we can only talk to God about certain things, but that's not the norm. Once you get the right people in your corner, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Every, every rose has its thorn. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, what I think about Billy Graham, one way to defeat loneliness is loyalty. Mm. And, you know, Billy Graham started with the same core guy. He had George Beverly Shea, uh, help him with the music. And, um, you know, he had Cliff Barrows help him with the music. And then he was preaching. One did the singing, one did the speaking, the other was working the crowd and uh, leading the choir. But you know what? They started together and finished together. And last November, Billy Graham's son-in-law called me. And Tracy, it was amazing. I had the honor to co-lead a three-day evangelism conference. And it was at Billy Graham's private personal office in Montreal, North Carolina. Now, the, the library is amazing in Charlotte. The Cove is amazing in Asheville, both second to none. They're both open to the public, but Billy Graham's private office near his log cabin is not open to the public. And I hate to use the word Mecca for the Christian circles, but what Madison Square Garden is the sports, um, you know, Billy Graham's private office. And you talk about the upper room. We have the whole second floor and it was crazy. We're sitting in him and Ruth's private rocking chairs. We're at a table 
and I'm sitting next to Billy Graham's son-in-law. And then um, George Beverly Shea's wife, his widow was still alive. She came in and talked about a room full of leaders, what it was like to loan her husband to the world. Hmm. So as he was doing her thing, she was privately supporting, you know, holding down the fort. But um, what I said about loyalty helps eliminate the loneliness uh-huh. is because uh, we also talked about, it was 1949, Billy Graham did this thing called the Modesto Manifesto where they were in California. And it's something that I would encourage every leadership here in this podcast today, Google Modesto Manifesto. Okay. Modesto, because it was in California. Uh-huh. And they said the things that had plagued leaders, particularly ministers, and some of it was exaggerating numbers. So they said, we don't want to be in that camp. Some would say it would be greedy and we'd start taking the money for personal gain. We don't want to do that. They came out with the policy that even Vice President Mike Pence got recently ridiculed for. He got it. It was called the Billy Graham rule. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to be pious, holier than thou, or arrogant, or a bunch of Fruit Loops, but we will never have lunch with another woman unless their wife was present or another colleague. And you can say, oh, well, she's a preacher's daughter and you're Billy Graham. Well, no, because we have to abstain from any appearance. And now that everyone has an iPhone, everyone has a press secretary and camera built in their phone. And before, if you were upset with someone and you wrote to CNN, it would just get in their mailroom and never be found. Some intern would just throw it in file 13. But now if on Twitter you do at CNN, you could make embarrassing news in about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, it's a totally different day. Mm -hmm. And we just have to take precautions. And if you think leadership is lonely, it gets 10 times more lonely when the bottom falls out. So I would say it's better to get ahead of the curve than, and I tell people the reason I shop at Walmart is because when you're in the public, Target's already on my back. (laughs) So I'm just trying to do it right. I've had to reevaluate what success is. Um, it's not wrong to have a house and the picket fence and maybe two kids and a cat. I'm not whatever your thing is, but success is not always bigger. I just think you mm. know we're really at the end of the day trying to be faithful is now more importantly than being famous. Um, you can be famous for not only all the wrong things on social media. You can be famous for almost doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the key is, will your character I'll punt your charisma mm-hmm. or your celebrity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think if we keep working on our character in private, uh, we'll be able to live with ourselves in public. And uh, so, yeah, leadership is lonely. It's lovely, but loyalty goes a long ways. Beautiful. And I love when you said, and it's 10 times lonelier when the bottom falls out. So you well, got to make sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that's just so true. Yeah. Well, we have a saying, God forgives, but our friends don't always forget. (laughs) And I want to encourage someone. Someone once told me the reason your rear view mirror is smaller than your windshield, because where you're going is more importantly than where you've been. Mm -hmm. So we can learn from the past, but we don't have to live in the past. Right. And regret throws the car in reverse. But I really believe faith and forgiveness helps you get moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I love where Southwest Airlines, you're free to move about the country. And I, I have this saying, Tracy, if you have a friend who's constantly bringing up the past, maybe a, a drop ball or a mishap or a moral failure, 
if you have friends who are constantly bringing up the past, I think they need to become acquaintances in the near future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Frank, that is so good. And, and um, yeah, I mean, that Love is them so and important. Leave them. Right. And you know what? Um, you want, once it's been unpacked, stick with people that give you grace and don't keep Amen. bringing that up. I mean, I Amen. watch people do that and I'm like, I can't believe you'd go there. I mean, yeah. that, no, no, you don't need people. They're not in your tribe kind of thing. Oh, Frank, your Absolutely. face just flopped. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There you um, go. We got it. Yeah. A good yeah. reminder for leaders out there. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes people, even you get into a little ribbing or, you know, sarcasm, which is a really a horrendous, I'm a recovered sarcasm expert. And oh. uh, yeah, I mean, that was my, that was my love language. And it's like, when I really realized how <laughs> horrible that was and bringing wow. up the past and teasing, mm, no, you don't, you don't want that. that that's a yeah. great point too. So true. Um, Someone eloquently said the word jealousy, the last five letters spell lousy. Yeah. And I, I was learning 90% of all criticisms rooted in jealousy. Yes. So yes. in a day of critics, I'm just trying to be a cheerleader. And uh, yeah, so I just believe we all win when we push each other on. You know, yeah. the competition is already intense. Nothing wrong with friendly competition. Yeah. But I think we need to realize real soon that we're really colleagues, not competition. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of wonderful leaders with big hearts out there. And what's interesting, Tracy, is they'll pause to help um, someone in need. But true leadership will help a competitor in need. Mm. You know, it's almost like I don't know why, but we can compliment everyone under the sun unless it's under our profession. And, and I'm going to go out of the box today. Say I have a friend whose dear friend works directly, uh, well, for the last 12 years, he worked directly, you know, for Michael Jordan, the Jordan brand. He worked for MJ himself. And uh, he's a good Christian guy. And he was with Jordan for 12 years. I think he just came off the payroll. But what I was thinking is, wouldn't it be amazing? Let's say you're an executive at Nike. You know, why don't you dare to pick up the phone and ask the VP of Adidas to meet you for lunch, even if it's in another city? And you say, oh, I can't do that. We're competition. Right. Well, I mean, you know, with seven billion on the planet, there's room for all of us to network. There's room for growth. There's money to be made. And, um, you know, the most important part of every shoe is the soul. And I think if we could just connect with each other, uh, I think we would be more successful because of each other. Yeah. And uh, so I just think, you know, this day of the Hatfield McCoys, Auburn versus Alabama, the Redskins versus the Cowboys, you know, there's a place for that. Um, but one of the things I love the most about leadership, I've worked in four White Houses of two different political parties. And I made a point a long time ago, I wanted more than one political party represented at my funeral. And one of the most intriguing things, you won't hear a lot of people say this, but you got to keep in mind, my family, my dad protected eight U.S. presidents. Mm. And number one, if dad was taken, willing to take a bullet for someone he didn't even vote for, how come our society today can't even wave to someone who's polar opposite as us the way we vote? Right. And then right. when I look at the state funeral, some people got impressed with Princess Di's wedding. You know, I'm inspired by a former president's death. Mm -hmm. And it's one time you get five living presidents. That's the most exclusive club in the world is, is five living presidents in the second row of the National Cathedral, if they could finally for once on camera, not only come together, but speak well of the deceased, 
why can't we do it once a week while we're alive? Right. So I'm just right. trying to think, you know, we got to come together. And, and if they can do that politically, we need to do it personally and professionally because that's true leadership. Um, when Coach Mike Shusevsky got word that his friend, but former competitor, Dean Smith of the iconic North Carolina Tar Heels basketball, the legend coach when he died, he showed up and shocked the world. It was classy of Coach K, and I'm not a Blue Devils fan. Instead of the Royal Blue Duke tie, for the first time in his life, he showed up at Dean Smith's funeral wearing a Carolina blue tie oh, out of respect right. of his colleagues slash competition. And again, he showed it in death. Um, I don't think it's wrong to occasionally do it in life. Right. Well, respect is huge. I mean, and and th that's a, a big part of why we are pulling apart as a society is a lack of respect. Everybody in power is allowed to be there by God Almighty. Yeah. Whether you yeah. like them or not, as long as they're not telling you to do something, you know, illegal, moral, and ethical. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and and respect that position. And so, I mean, that that is that is good. But because as a, as a leader, the loneliness people are going to really take pot shots at you and kind of try and alienate you, especially if you're making an unpopular call, and um, even sometimes with and even if you're making the right call, yeah, right? when you're making the right call, yeah. right? That's crazy. Yeah. Hey, and just one other thing, my well, dad. Not my dad believed the thing that about women, you know, hey, you, 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 the only woman he ever was seen one-on-one -on -one with, with Gloria. And um, he would hug men, but he would give women, he'd kiss their hand because he didn't want to, he wanted to respect oh, the boundaries. So he was that really was into that. Well, yeah. and plus I've learned the higher the profile and the bigger the platform, the more respectful boundaries we need because everything can be misconstrued these days. Oh, absolutely. You read Proverbs yeah. and, and leaders aren't even yeah. supposed to drink because something bad yeah. is going, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, it's, it's just, I'm not going to argue about it. It is what it yes. is, you know, it is. human beings are human beings. So just. yeah, I tell people when you got the King of Kings, you really don't need the King of beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. We should write a book titled that. Oh, man, it'd be an honor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So loneliness. All right. Let's talk about weariness. Um, man, it's tough. How do you stay replenished, refreshed? What do you do wow. to combat weariness? Well, that's a great question. You know, the Bible says, Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary and well-doing for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. And I really believe if I had an alternative middle to name, it would either be patriotic or persevering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I loved the movies Rocky. Um, I, I'm not sure if you knew, I had the honor to meet Sylvester Stallone when I was 13 in Hollywood. I won a Rambo 2 contest. Tracy was like getting struck by lightning. I go into a movie theater. They give me a piece of paper. I said, what's this? They said, kid, it's a chance to spend the weekend in Beverly Hills with Sylvester Stallone. It's 1985. <laughs> I'm 13 years old. They told me I had a better chance of getting struck by lightning. And uh, I filled it out. You needed all 10 right. I'm on the East Coast, 13 years old, right outside of D.C. And when I gave it to the usher, he said, kids, you're still not going to win. I'm like, we need to fire this guy. At least give me some hope. <laughs> he wasn't too good in the PR world. Now, he may have been being realistic, but hey, we got to be optimistic. Right, right. And my godmother came over the next day. My mom's birthday was July 4th. And she's talking about Rambo. My ears preaked up and I said, did they give you a sheet of paper? She goes, they did. I said, do you think you got all 10 right? She goes, I think. And I said, Judy, 
I'm so slow. It takes two hours to watch 60 minutes. I said, all I know is two chances are better than one. I said, if I win, I'm going to take you. She rolled her eyes. Frankie, if I win, I'm going to take you to California. I mean, like we don't have a chance in the world. Two months later, she calls me at 9 p.m. Eastern time, screaming in the phone. Pack your bags. We're going to Los Angeles. She won. And she took me at age 13 to meet the entire Rambo cast at MGM Universal, our United Artists. He had just finished Rocky IV. And uh, I ended up getting to meet my childhood hero. And uh, fast forward 20 years later, I was an extra in the final fight scene of Rocky Balboa, the last Rocky. The last one he fights, I'm in the fight scene for four days. I'm in the background in the fourth row, and I got to reunite with them again. Oh, my gosh. But millions loved Rocky, not because the man never lost. The man never quit. Mm -hmm. And you knock him down, he'd get back up. And, uh, you know, true leadership is not always going undefeated. It's getting up after a defeat. And um, so anyways... um, yeah, weary. Um, but I think God allowed me to meet him early on to take some shots later on. <laughs> yeah. So whether it was through criticism or, you know, a failed relationship or a business transaction that just went through your hand like sand and, you know, you're doing it with integrity and you're doing it with enthusiasm. And then the life throws a curveball. Um, all I know is Babe Ruth led the league in home runs, but led the league in strikeouts the same season. And people made fun of him for that. I mean, you would think the salt and the swat, how in the world? Okay, he led the league in home runs, but most people didn't know he led the same year in strikeouts. But it shows you at least when he was up to bat, he was swinging for the fence. And that's one thing I would tell leaders. It's okay to foul one off. It's all right to get struck out. But you need to keep looking for the fence. And uh, sometimes he was looking to hit it out of the park. And you'll foul a few off, but man, it's worth it when you smack it over the fence. I love that. And um, so weary um, comes before winning, even in the dictionary. And if you think winning is always going to come first or be easy, uh, you might as well subscribe to another podcast because Tracy and I are going to give it to you straight. But weary comes before winning, even in the dictionary. And it's just part of it. You know, again, they want the platform. They don't want to pay the price. Mm -hmm. They want the leadership, but they don't want to be lonely. Mm -hmm. And to me, there are two oars that row the boat. Weary, winning, leading, and even losing. But then you add the loneliness, but then you add loyalty. There's two oars to every leader's boat. Right. The problem is most corporate executives only got one oar in the water. And if you only got one oar in a boat, somebody's going in circles. Right. But if you can take the winning with the weary and the leading with an occasional losing and even the loneliness, but you still add in loyalty, you're not only going to be laughing, uh, you will be leading in more ways than one. So just got to keep both oars in the water. I love that. Well, and that's the dual nature of everything. The light, yeah. the dark, um, you know, Ecclesiastics to everything. There's a season. And, and the, beauty is, um, <clears throat> the beauty is the reason why we put up with it is because we know where, where the coin toss ends with victory. Wow. Um, that's good. But I love that, that there are the two sides of it. And when you don't, you're not going to wind up getting anywhere. You, you have to pay. You can't say you're a leader if you haven't paid the price of leadership. Yeah. Very good. You know, when I think of um, Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy also said that that the presidency was the most loneliest job in the world. And to me, lonely and weary are really 
could be the same. I think they're cousins. And, uh, yeah, but I also believe in the more weary we can become, I think the more impact we'll leave behind. Mm-hmm. You know, someone once said legacy and leadership is leaving something behind that will benefit everyone but you. Mm-hmm. If I can just interject this, um, my friend Carl has flown on Air Force One, the 747, on four U.S. presidents. He's flown two million miles on the world's most famous airport. Two twin 747s, the blue and white, the American flag on the tail. It says United States of America. Harrison Ford made a movie, Get Off My Plane, you know, Air Force One. He was on the plane with President George W. Bush, and they were flying to Italy, and they just got the call that was patched in from Simi Valley, California, from former First Lady Nancy Reagan, and she was crying so much. George W. Bush couldn't even understand what she was saying. And then when he finally pieced it together, she was saying her beloved Ronnie, our 40th president, had just died. And Carl was on the plane with the current president at the time, George W. Bush, flying to Italy. And the backup identical twin was there right behind. And President George W. Bush immediately sent the backup plane no longer flying into Italy, turned it around and flew all the way back to Simi Valley, California. And that plane has been known not only as the Flying White House, at time it's been a flying hospital. When JFK got shot, one flaw that Air Force One on the old 707 didn't realize they had is um, they didn't have the president's blood type on the plane. They now have like an emergency room that can crash 33,000 feet up in the air. They have his plasma in a cooler. Uh, it's like a sonar on a boat. The plane, every time a, uh, the Air Force One flies over a hospital, it will actually tell that the president is flying by. So if there was ever a catastrophe again, they could tell in minutes that plane's coming down and coming to that hospital, whether it be Missouri or Kalamazoo, Michigan, you know, wherever it's going. But they flew, it's not only the flying White House and flying hospital on rare occasions, it's become a flying hearse. And here's the backstory to this cool leadership story. Carl said, my friend who flies, still, he still does President Trump's travel today. He said, Frank, he said, President Ronald Reagan, the two terms he had, he was flying on a 35-year-old plane, the same plane that flew John F. Kennedy back from Dallas. It was a 707. Kennedy was killed November 63. And 87, 88, he's still flying on that older plane. Now, it was still beautiful on the outside but it was three decades old on the inside. And um, one of the last things Reagan did as president, he signed an executive order to begin purchasing and building two brand new 747s. And it took a year and a half to build. And although President Reagan implemented it and paid for it, he never once flew on it as president, Mm -hmm. never once flew on it alive. It was George Bush Sr. who got to enjoy it. Bill Clinton for two terms, George W. for two terms, Barack Obama for two terms. It's the same plane Trump is on today. The irony of irony is when they flew that plane back from Italy to pick up Nancy Reagan and her family, they put on the casket of Ronald Reagan and they flew him from California to the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan 
paid for the plane and never flew on it alive. The first time he flew on that majestic jet was when he was dead. And true leadership is what will you leave behind that will bless everybody but you. And I want to encourage our leaders, whether they're a principal, a preacher, or a president, whether you're a CEO, a county commissioner, or, you know, a janitor or joint chiefs of staff, you know, it's so easy to try to amass wealth and accolades and fill our pockets or promote our brand or lift up our ego. But I want to encourage you uh, not only to have different people represented at your funeral. You know, Billy Graham said, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. I've learned living is going backwards. And, uh, and I would just encourage you to spread the wealth. Someone once said, money is like manure. It stinks until you learn to spread it around. <laughs> and I just think we need to spread the wealth around. We need to spread the uh, compliments around. We need to spread the finances around. And uh, just, you know, I think leaders do better not only when they delegate, but when they're selflessly giving it away. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when your stock gets higher. Mm-hmm. Because that, it's been said, the poorest person is the one who really only wealth was their money. Mm-hmm. Because I've met a lot of influential people who had cash, but they didn't have class. <laughs> and I have the saying, cash without class. It's just acting like trash. So, you know, one thing I loved about my dad on Capitol Hill, he knew the janitor's name and they knew him. And and you could be walking in the hallway with a senator or a congressman or a chief of staff. But the moment dad saw that janitor, it was like a beeline. Now, most guys would boycott him like they got leprosy. You know, they could embarrass you. They're beneath us. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The greatest are the servants. Someone asked Elvis Presley, and my dad's friend was a bodyguard for seven years to Elvis Presley from 70 to 77. They said, Elvis, why do you always boycott the mayors and the keys to the city? And you always go say hi to the custodian. And Elvis said, man, the big guys don't need me, but the other guys do. And uh, it made not only their day, they would share that picture for the rest of their days. And, uh, you know, politicians come and go, but it's lonely for them too. And that's why, in full transparency, I lead a weekly Bible study to politicians. One, I know they're lonely. Mm-hmm. I know they're weary. And um, someone asked Billy Graham, well, do you go after the right wing or the left wing? And he said, no, I'm for the whole bird. I'm trying to reach everybody. <laughs> I had heard and that. So that's a great one. He pastored 13 presidents and six of them he didn't even vote for it. But when we say, oh, politics and religion don't mix, I'm like, no, drinking and driving don't mix, but they do it anyways. And uh, we do need to come together and and work together. And um, it's one of the greatest moments of my life is privately without naming names is ministering to powerful politicians. And they told me how lonely they are. Mm -hmm. Some have told me their own pastor thinks they're crazy. They don't see it as a mission field. They're wasting their time. And they're like, Frank, some of them said, you're like one of the only rays of hope I got. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll drive 300 miles a week just to go to a state capital to privately pour in and influence influencers. To my pastor friends, I just want to encourage you. A lot of the church is great going after the poor, but we fail to go after the powerful. And we need to not only go after the down and out, we need to go after the up and already arrived. Um, right. I asked Matt Lark Lemon with the Globetrotters. I wrote the forward to his book before he died. 
he was in the Hall of Fame. I said, Meadowlark, why do you always fly first class? He laughed. He said, Brother Frank, rich people need Jesus too. <laughs> so he would sit on front in first class. Two, he did have long legs. But number three, he said something I never forgot. He also said, I never got a business transaction or a book deal or a television appearance by sitting in the back by the lavatory in coach class. Right. It was a divine appointment when I was in first class. You know, I think who you respect is who you attract. Mm. And sometimes like, and, and you know, so leaders are not only attracted to each other's victories, but I think we fall in love with them because of their valleys. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard one story of a guy who was a three-star general, went to go get a cup of Starbucks and he walked past a homeless guy in a major city. And one of the aides to this general basically uh, was embarrassed that the three-star general would stop and say hi to a homeless guy. Yeah. And they began to talk. And then the next thing you know, the general was weeping. and. It was over the fact that the homeless had shared in that 30-second conversation that his mother died of cancer. The three-star general's mother had died of cancer. Mm -hmm. And on the outside, they had nothing in common. But because of loss, they had everything in common. And where the aide thought it was naive or immature for his boss to pause and stop, there's a reason why that guy was the intern or the aide and the one with the stars was the true leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, that's the common denominator. It's not just winning the Super Bowl. It's sometimes striking out in the preseason, but you keep swinging for the fence, you know? That's beautiful. Oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, and those, those points really just um, help alleviate the weariness and, and leaders, yeah. you know, I, you know, it's so easy. It's, it's just the, the greatest hobby we have now in the world is just sitting there and lamb blasting leaders. And it's like, yeah. well, then you step up into the chair and tell me Absolutely. what it's like to be completely people that don't know you judging everything. And this is not on one side or the other. This is just the way, the way it is now. And uh, tell me how you like it. So let's just give them grace. Um, we, we wouldn't stand up and do it. So, you know, give them grace and, and pray for them and support them. I mean, Amen. everybody's life is tough for everybody out there. And um, it is, yeah. especially in leadership. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And being hypercritical, your leader, it, it, they're running our country. So if you want yeah. them to fail, you want our country to fail. And like I said, I don't care what side of the fence you're on. I can remember when, when Ken, my father was uh, voted Republican, but when Kennedy was shot, he took all of us to go to his funeral because he oh, respect, I love it. respect the yeah, man, yeah. respect the office. Yeah. And um, so that, that, that's really huge. So thank you for that. And, and yeah. uh, for leaders, if you've got people that all they want to do is tear you down as a leader, that's not somebody you need to have on your team. They, you know, just, just to let you know this, you know, some people you can go, Hey, are you where you're doing this? And they're going to go, what? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't realize that other people. You well, know. remember this Tracy, that um, a, a dog only chases a moving vehicle. It doesn't bark at something standing still. So yep. when you're moving forward, I want to encourage the leaders, if you're getting harassed and kicked and made fun of, it's because you're moving. Yeah. So yeah. take it as a com- compliment, not a complaint. And, and someone, I think T.D. Jake said, you know, the taste of success that some will only have is if they try to take a bite out of you. Yeah. And plus, if you get kicked from behind, it still means you're out front. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I, I'm not dropping names, but I was invited yesterday to be on a national faith leader call yesterday at the White House with Vice President Mike Pence yesterday. I was, and um, I just remember hearing stories of previous campaigns that, you know, 
candidates who were running for that high office. They would make fun of them and throw rocks at them and tease them and how crazy they were to make this decision. But there's this thing called for your eyes only. And every day the president is get a briefed. And, and I would have said this with Obama, I'd say it now with Trump. It, the, the principle remains the same. When you get that thing with the national security and you get to finally see things that no one else in the world sees, and you see Somalia and you see uproar in China and you see this. And when you see the playbook and, and, and then even if they somehow win that seat and sitting in that same chair, if they have a heart and their head screwed on, many of them have ended up doing the same thing they made fun of their predecessor for because they finally had access to information. And then they almost not only regret it, they want to recant it, but most of the time pride wouldn't allow them. But they finally saw things in that elevated position that they didn't even know existed. They didn't even know was in play. Mm -hmm. And that's why the Bible says, pray for those in authority. So, you know, when you break it down, if, if, if you have 15 employees and, you know, you're a summer intern, um, I would encourage you to speak well of the boss. Um, one, he writes your check. Two, you can be gone tomorrow. But three, leadership is lonely. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we need to show grace. And just like what you said, you know, when these people make it sound like we got to forget the whole U.S. is on one plane. So when basically you're hoping that the whole plane goes down, they're forgetting they're going down with the plane. It's the strangest thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. And um, But the difference between a champ and a chump is you. And there's winners and there's wannabes. And I'd rather be leading at times feeling lonely and weary, still doing what you're called to do, than be throwing rocks and, you know, don't have a care in the world. Because a lot of clowns are sitting on the sidelines but a leader is in the game. And like your dad say, you may have some bloody knuckles and you may get a bloody nose, but I love it was Teddy Roosevelt talked about the man in the arena. And I want to be remembered as the guy like Rocky, he knocked him down and your old buddy got back up. <laughs> yeah. I love it, Frank. Okay. So that was weariness. The next price he talked about was abandonment. And, you know, abandonment yeah. has, there's good abandonment, there's bad abandonment. How do you, what, what does it mean to you? And um, what would you talk to in your leadership concepts of abandonment? What would you share with other leaders? Well, I don't think you can genuinely lead unless you've ever lost. One of the problems that a lot of leaders is want to pretend that they've never had a failing season hmm. when maybe what those behind them may actually be encouraged that you've endured the losing season. Mm-hmm. But it was just a chapter of your book. It wasn't the whole book. But right. to pretend like it wasn't in the book is, um, I think you're setting others up for failure and frustration. And uh, abandonment, some things need to stay, some things you need to let go and having the discernment to know the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a prophet is with honor everywhere but their hometown. Um, You know, we would all like to fit in and and be respected. And but at times I reminded as leaders, it's not always fitting in. Sometimes it's standing up and stepping out. And you may. I believe in elementary school teachers leave no child behind, but in love, there's some adults we got to leave behind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes more often than not, it may be them abandoning you, but on a rare times, 
there's times we got to cut times with people because if you know that you know that there is a cancer in the midst and you let it fester and grow, that's not only going to bring down morale and productivity, you're opening yourself up for lawsuits. Right. Because, you know, if they have the audacity to mess up with anyone on your team, in a way, they're messing with the leadership. And if they're already messing them, they may be coming after you. No, so they we believe will. in grace, yeah. Yeah. second chance, yes. forgiveness. But, you yeah. know, there are times where abandonment does go both ways. Um, but, you know, when you think of Lincoln, I go back to him. Um, you know, everyone wants to make fun of that. Perhaps respectfully, Bill Clinton and Hillary may have been the first to live in different bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it goes all the way back to Abraham Lincoln. I mean, they right. had just buried their son. His wife had an enormous amount of uh, depression. Lincoln even had bigger bags under his eyes than Bill Clinton. He aged 20 years in that short two terms. And uh, he knew what melancholy was a dear friend. And for a guy who was the most powerful person on the planet, that had to have been just a political, you know, brand. Because his own wife was grieving in her own way. She didn't even want to be in the room with them. Even his own Republicans weren't completely behind him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said the night he went to Ford's Theater, I was told, Tracy, he invited 11 other people, congressmen, cabinet members, even a guy off the street. And he was so unpopular at that time because of a stand, which is so appropriate where we are today. They didn't even want to go to sit in the president's box. So if you think people were boycotting the White House just recently, won a national championship, and he's not my president, but there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you this, and this is something we all can take away. Because he was lonely and because he was weary, he was able to lead. He stood up when others were silent. And this is a fact. It was a conservative white Republican put on an African-American on his staff, was a butler, and he served at the White House. And they said every time Lincoln would walk by him at a state dinner, or out of a meeting, or to go out on the town. Every time he saw that African-American, the president would tip his hat, and with a wink, he would say, see you later. They said in two biographies, the night that Lincoln was escorted to Ford's Theater, Tracy, when he walked past the African-American, right as he was walking past him to go out to the Ford's Theater, with my ancestor and Shelton over his shoulder, they said the six-foot-four commander-in-chief, all in black, Lincoln looked at the African-American, tipped his hat, and said goodbye. Oh my gosh. He walked right on past him. I'm getting goosebumps now. Wow. And he knew that his time was up. Mm -hmm. And that's the mark of a true great leader. I really believe weariness is not your enemy. It's a friend we have failed to appreciate because ministry or leadership minus urgency equals catastrophe. And it reminds us that time is short. We got to make a difference. We got to swing for the fence. It's more than about me. And I really believe if everyone sung your praises and thought you hung the moon and sang how great thou art when you use the restroom or go to the water cooler, you'd start believing the press clippings. And you may think, you know, they say ego is edging God out. Mm -hmm. And I love Elvis. Frank Sinatra wrote it, but no one sang it like Elvis. But the powerful song, My Way, if you really listen to the lyrics, my pastor told me it was the national anthem of hell. 
And the record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love Elvis. Um, But you know what? We really need to do it his way because my way will get us all in trouble. Right. Oh, my gosh. Frank, thank you for sharing that. And I love how you talked about Lincoln at the end. Um, And we'll put the link because one of my dad's life changing classic was on Lincoln. He adored Lincoln. Just adored him. But, um, and before I forget, I do have a weekly podcast every Monday, Apple iTunes. It's it's my, it's Frank Shelton's Leadership Lessons. Uh-huh. And even though I come from a church background as well as politics, I didn't want to just preach to the choir. So I'm giving, I've been told if you Google leadership, it's probably the most respected and requested term in all of business is leadership. It's right. universal, just like love, leadership. Right. And uh, But every Monday I download a new podcast. And ironically, in two weeks, the new one will be on Lincoln. Oh, and uh, so if you get really bored, you could just find this on iTunes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I and love I, Lincoln. Well, well, Dad loved it too. And I'll, I'll give you a link back to that so you yeah. can share that with people, Thank even you. if they want to download a PDF of yeah. it for free. Um, but when you said, when he looked at me, he said goodbye. It's also good for leaders to know when it's time for them to abandon the seat and go. Wow. And um, there's a beauty in that. It's sad. You know, because it is the the job well done, but that that's really yeah. important too. And I know my father and I struggle with that throughout both our careers. I'd look like I'm coming back, then no, then yes, then no, then yeah. You know, because it was, you know, that that's tough for succession planning for leaders after they've built something to know, hey, it is changing, and it's time for you to abandon that seat and and hand it to the next generation. Pass the baton. Yeah, in the words of the late Kenny Rogers, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. No when to walk away, no when to run. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, I love it. I love it. Okay, so now, last price is vision. And my father referred to vision as simply seeing what needs to be done and then doing it. And isn't wow. that, I mean, we all can do that. He just, it's yeah. like, well, I'm not a visionary. Wrong. I'm not a leader. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Just, you see what needs to be done and do it. And so I love what, it. what is vision for you? How do you keep your, cause you know, when you're in ministry, especially, it seems like every idea that comes your way, Oh, Oh, it's an opening from God. And, and, you know, maybe it's not kind of thing. How, yeah. how do you hone your vision, Frank? Well, Johnny Hunt is a respected preacher and former president of the Southern Baptist convention. And uh, I've known him for 25 years. And, and he said, regarding vision, if you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. I love that. And uh, one of my favorite stories was um, Walt Disney was there when they opened Disneyland in Anaheim, but he died several years before the grand opening of Disney World. I think it was 75 in Orlando. He was already deceased. His wife, Mrs. Disney, was way up in age, but she was there for the red tape opening with media from around the world. And a reporter came up to Mrs. Disney and stuck the mic in her mouth and said, Mrs. Disney, it is a shame that your husband, Walt, could not be here to see this. And she said, I beg your pardon. My husband, Walt, saw this day a long time ago. And uh, I just really think vision. uh, But a lot of people, Tracy, have vision. Um, I love Helen Keller. She, Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, and Ronnie Millsap saw more things than some of us who are not blind. Mm. You know, true vision is also seeing it before others will see it. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to be careful because, yes, it's noble to have vision. But if you're not careful, sometimes those closest to you, it could be a spouse. It could be a, a, a parent. It could be a, 
a sibling. It could be a next door neighbor. It could be the best man in your wedding. It could be the chief of staff, your CEO. You know, just because you have a vision doesn't mean everyone's going to see your assignment. So yes, you need the vision. But even more important than the vision, if you don't have values going into the vision and through the vision, you're not going to have victory. The three V's, you need the vision, you need to stay with values. And then and only then is there a victory. Um, I, I tell public school students all across America, if you have a chance today to drive a brand new infinity or develop integrity, just stick with integrity. Because when that high-end SUV or sports car leaves you on the side of the road, if you have integrity, you can still have your held head high and you can still move through in the game of life. Mm -hmm. But if all you got is this car, but you have no character, you're going to crash in more ways than one. Right. And I tell people, you know, if, if you have money, but you don't got morals, you're a mess. Right. So yes, vision is important, but values is extra important. And you're going to be victorious, win or lose, because many who are first will be last. We, we all know your dad preached it, you did too, but you can spend your whole life and find out you put the ladder on the wrong side of the wall. It was leaning up against the wrong thing. And, uh, and then let's face it, some people fall like a deck of cards because on the outside, it looked like a billion dollar enterprise, but on the inside, it was built on lies and, you know, fabrication. And, you know, even today you can buy followers on Twitter. And that's, that's a mistake that, you know, you don't have to fake it until you make it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's better to go slow and be true than out the gate and find out we were a counterfeit. So I uh, just want to encourage people, uh, bigger is not better. And uh, sometimes the tortoise and the hare, right. sometimes slow and consistent wins the day. Right. Well, that that value piece um, and for leaders, when you're looking for followers to draw to your organization or when you're looking for leaders to hook your star or your wagon onto or the wall, um, do make sure in, in leadership ter terminology, it's it's a value congruence. It's a moral congruence. So you want to make sure that you affiliate with people that you're professionally equally yoked, not just in marriage, but also in matters of um, professionalism, because otherwise you may get filthy rich with your stock portfolio, but you're going to feel like you sold your soul and pretty much you did. So, so true. Uh, yeah, that, that I love that you tied values to vision because you may get a victory. I mean, I can remember interviewing these companies that there came from nothing and then their stock valuation was seven billion. And then all of a sudden, some character malformation revealed how hollow it was inside. And it's mm -hmm. like, but everybody saw it and they stuck around because yeah. they were getting rich. And and that is that's a tragedy. That's disgusting. That's evil, mm -hmm. you know? That's yeah. So um, I, love, I love that you tied vision to values. Yeah. Well, it's been an honor to be with you. And uh, yeah, I would just encourage you um, and our listeners just in closing, you know, we should befriend one another. Mm -hmm. um, we should pray for one another. And I would encourage you to write a handwritten note of encouragement to one another, even yeah. if it happens to be the competition. Because uh, I've learned that when we are kingdom minded, there's no boundaries. But when we're trying to build our little castle, we're territorial. And I just believe that, um, you know, we should just lift each other up. And because uh, you're going to have enough critics, you don't want to bring any other attacks. And, uh, you know, 
one of the highest compliments may not even be sealing that next deal mm. or, you know, going from that million to a billion. Uh, Cause you can celebrate for a while, but you know, when the smoke clears and the flashlight is on the organization, you know, Billy Graham and them started together. They finished together. And I was just at the Billy Graham library a week ago today in Charlotte, to see some old colleagues. I was, on staff for five years with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And you know what's really cool? Billy and Ruth Graham's grave markers are side by side, but they have added George Beverly Shea and Cliff Barrow's tombstone is about 50 feet away on the same plot of land. Wow. And after you see the preacher, you can see the praise team. And they're not only started together, retired together, they're resting in peace together but they're really celebrating in heaven together. <laughs> yes, they're amazing. with your dad. Yeah. Uh, yes, they are. And waiting for us. I can't Amen. wait. That's going to be exciting. I'm on my way. <laughs> yes, sir, we all are. Oh my God. Okay. So Frank, how do people get in touch with you? How can they connect with you? Yeah. Well, thank you, Tracy. It's been an honor to be with you. Um, the, the, the corporate classroom is Frank Shelton, S-H-E-L-T-O-N.org. And then FrankShelton.com is all our faith-based stuff. And, uh, you know, if we could ever encourage corporate America, um, you know, I was supposed to Nikita Koloff, the former world wrestling champ, our mutual friend, uh, him and I were supposed to fly to Tokyo, Japan at the end of this month. In two weeks, we were flying to be chaplains at the Olympics and uh, the corona threw a curveball. But that's another thing. Stay creative in the crisis. Mm. Just because you're still doesn't mean you stopped. And uh but I just really believe, you know, use this time to, you know, just reset, reinvent, maybe rebrand, um, rebuild. And rebound's not a bad word. Sometimes in basketball, it's great. Relationships, it can be dangerous. <laughs> you don't want to just go right into a rebound. But, um, but it's a slam dunk, you know, when you do it right. It is. It is. Oh, Frank, yeah. thank you. And we're going to put all the links and stuff down underneath it. Yeah. And so for our listeners, um, wherever you listen to us, check out Frank. Frank, did you say you have a podcast too? Yeah. it's And okay. if you go to the frankshelton.com, the top header says podcast, or you could just go on iTunes, download it every week. Frank Perfect. Shelton. All right. So hey, you're amazing. You're, you. you're tremendously amazing. So for our listeners, you make sure you subscribe to that. Subscribe to Thank Tremendous you. Leader. Leave a five-star rating. Frank's too. And uh, please reach out and connect. And thank, thank you, you, Frank. Thank you so much for what you taught me. And thank you for your pouring in to all the leaders throughout all the world. And for our le- listeners today. Thank you, Frank. Hey, you're the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. See you, everybody. Have a tremendous day. Thanks for tuning into the Tremendous Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.